You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. I'm Jennifer Simard. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jamie Dumont. And this is The Fabulous Invalid. going on. Hey, I have a question. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we had some repentance boo-boo. I made a boo-boo thing that we did. What, what did we call it? Oh, take, take two. two. Take, take two. two. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have a big take two. A take two that's kind of blue. Yeah. <laughs> so the other day, we recorded right after the um, Election. midterm elections, oh. And I snarkily called it a not a blue wave, but more like a spilled glass of water. Rob mm-hmm. had something less snarky, but in a similar vein. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's just our, our liberal guilt, right? We can never celebrate things. Right? No. We always have to find the fault. We always need to push for further progress. It's never enough. Um, but in fact, it turns out... We spoke too soon. We spoke way too soon. It is a blue wave, and we should, we should you know, scream that from the tops of buildings. It's the largest number of Democrats elected in Congress since Watergate. That's... Since 1974, with the highest turnout since 1914 yeah, that's for a midterm incredible. election, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's something to celebrate. That is something to celebrate. It so it's a we want to... We wanna... Take two. Take two. I will never remember that. <laughs> we could do this show for years and years and years, and you will, will. have to always we'll remind you. Yeah. But I lo- and the diversity in our House of Representatives yes. is thrilling. I'm a New England girl, and the fact that all of New England mm-hmm. in uh, the House of Representatives is now blue. Yep. Uh, the only remaining red seat is um, Susan Collins, and after her... <laughs> she won't be long no, for this won't. world. No, mm, not after not. that yeah. Kavanaugh vote, so, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, the the... the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives went from being 86% white men to 90% white men as a result of this election. And the Democratic caucus uh, went wildly in the opposite direction. If you look at the incoming class of newly elected uh, Congress members, they're women, they're people of color, um, they're, you know, we elected uh, Native American uh, women to Congress, we elected Muslims to Congress, you know. the caucus represents the diversity of America, the Democratic caucus at least, and a huge part of that was achieved on, on, on that Tuesday election mm-hmm. and continues to happen as we have all these closer races that get called mm-hmm. uh, in the weeks following. I also, think, um, I also think it's exciting to see progressive platforms winning and sort of pushing back against the lie that you see on TV all the time, like, oh, don't be... Don't be too crazy. Don't be too like like being that progress, being progressive is crazy. Mm-hmm, in other right. words, you know Phil Bredesen in Tennessee. You know he sadly he lost, and Joe Donnelly of Indiana lost. But you know a lot of times one could argue they're a little bit too um, playing the game of, you know, capitulating to the other side. And you have to give people ideas that they're excited about. And I think we we're seeing success of that across the country in this election. And the Native American lady that was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was voted in is also outwardly uh, a lesbian. She's out as a lesbian. Right, I think right. that's I forgot that dimension yeah, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, change it's there in slow increments. It's just you know there's a lot of um, there's a stacked deck with the electoral college the way it is. And sometimes when you look at the map and you see a sea of red, you can get mm-hmm. discouraged. But you know that's not um, by 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 population. Sometimes. Right. Well, one of the coolest things, if you go to the New York Times website, they have um, all the election results. It's still up. If you can just search for it, find it. And they have the map of the United States, you know, the usual map you see. that has got all the districts drawn, and they're colored red and blue for who's what. And then um, there's a little option to toggle underneath it to a cartogram, is what they're calling it. Mm-hmm. And it shows every district as the same size, because they are all roughly 750,000 people. And when you look at the map that way, it doesn't look as red. In fact, it is almost 50-50 when there's more Democrats. So it's more than 50-50, um, red to blue, or blue to red, rather. Um, so it, it, it's amazing how much imagery can inform our perception of what's actually going on in America. And just that switch from the one map to the other is really uh, encouraging, and and it makes you feel that you're not alone, that you're not crazy for wanting people to have health care or equal rights or 
you know, what have you, name the issue that's important. Mm -hmm. And um, boots on the ground still, because it's never over. It's never over. Now we have to organize and make sure 2020 mm -hmm. has even higher turnout. Okay, so let's go do that. Woo. Ariane Moyad is an award-winning actor, writer, and director. He was nominated for a Tony Award for Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, an Emmy for his groundbreaking web series, The Accidental Wolf, won an Obie for Guards at the Taj, and recently starred on Broadway and in London in The Humans. At 22, he co-founded Waterwell, a nonprofit theater, film, production, and arts ed education company. He can currently be seen as the delightfully villainous Stewie on HBO's Succession. Welcome, Arian. Thank you for coming out on this rainy day. Oh, my gosh. Hello. Thank you for Welcome. having me, guys. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. And um, before we get into yes. you know, questions about sure. your, your history and life and career and all that, we just had some fun questions we wanted to ask yeah, you. Yeah, I love fun questions. Um, so what relaxes you? We all, we all oh. have busy lives. What would you say are your go-tos to relax? <clears throat> my kids are definitely like my relaxation pills. That's one. The other one is... I love listening to music, Ooh. and so we have a we have a record player and we play some fun music. And also, Do you actually play vinyl. Yeah. Oh, I love oh, that. Yeah, cool. and the girls get involved, and it's an, and it's a and because the old vinyls, you can open them up. There's a little mm -hmm. story there. The pictures are amazing, and if you have an original, it's like it's like it's a it's an event. What's a popular uh, album in your household? Um, for on my side of the street is <laughs> Otis Redding's um, live renditions of, uh, I, I think it's just called Otis Redding Live, um, and it's a double disc that's just phenomenal. Mm. And, then, um, and then my girls really love, this is funny, Snow White, because it's really actually, the music's really lovely yeah. um, from the original Walt Disney Snow White. Mm -hmm. um, what are other things? I'm a big Stevie Wonder fan, so... Huge Stevie. So we listened to a lot of Stevie. That. And I got a lot of weird Stevies. So the, uh, music is a big music. one. Mm -hmm. Is that also what inspires you? Because that's a, a follow-up question. What, in, what inspires you or where are you currently drawing yeah, inspiration? Yeah, I think, I, think, I, think like, I think great people and like great minds and great hearts like inspire me. I love that. Yeah. And I just like take that. And I just like get really nerdy with that idea. Mm. <laughs> so like, so... Um, you know, I'm 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 working on this project right now that I'm that about a piece of history that happened with the CIA in Iran in the 1950s, a big thing for Iranians, and like I'm nerding out on like all of the, like the cool players and all the evil players and like diving in that like it, that is something that pump that gets me going, and great music does that. You know, are you doing research right now on this yeah. project? So yeah. You, where? Are you, how are you doing your research? Is it all online? Are you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you know. A, I'm I'm Iranian, so I have a lot of you know um, places that I can go to. I was born in Iran, and so and my my parents um, are very Iranian. They're very immigrant, um, and so so I have that world view. Uh, but also, you know, I I was studying to get a Persian minors degree. You know, I, I was really fascinated with all that history because it's so much so much of it is so it's so it's so it makes the the rest of all this stuff so clear. Mm. But people just need to know about that 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 stuff so it's just clearer. That that the vision of the world can be clearer than it is. Um, I get that all the time with like all kinds of like art that's being made for television represents people in such boxes. For me, Middle Eastern, for the gay community, all that's, you know, all, everyone's got their own pocket, you know, black, Hispanic, whatever. And, and sometimes you need to battle those things and the way to battle those things is just to give people information. It's like literally, it's, I always say this to my students, I say, we have, like, I know nothing about New Zealand. Nothing, zero. But like, if you asked me to write a movie about New Zealand tomorrow, I would write you probably some ignorant, backwards, like Lord of the Rings kind of like New Zealand. That doesn't make me a bad person. I just don't know shit about it. You know, I don't know anything about it. So sometimes it's that, like letting people like, showing that like, oh, there's so much knowledge here. Why don't you guys investigate some of that stuff? Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know how we got in this conversation, but that's <laughs> what inspires you. We, yeah. we asked yeah. you. <laughs> what I'm hearing you say, which yeah. is really fascinating, yeah. is that everyone, there's the gay box, there's the Iranian box, there's yeah. the, 
black box. Yeah. There's all of those things. And the way to break those boxes down, yeah. which is a huge problem, yeah. is through information and yeah, through talking. knowledge. Yeah, talking, knowledge. You know, I just saw the Constitution play. Did you guys see that? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, at the last, the most powerful thing that Heidi did for me, there was a lot of powerful things, but one of the most powerful was at the end. She, she and, the, um, and the young debater Student, right. mm-hmm. um, were back-to-back asking each other questions yes. about their lives. That's the last like images that we have of two people from completely different backgrounds talking about their lives, so we can know a little bit about each other. That there, I don't even think we I don't even think there's any curiosity to we don't have any of that and that and so when I hear a piece of music that I've never you know seen before and I'm like what how did they how did Stevie Wonder play all of these instruments? <laughs> moved to this country in the early 80s. Yeah. They, speak, they spoke no English. Very little English. Very yeah. little English. Yep. Very little English. They weren't very familiar with American culture. Not and, at all. And yet they took this very sort of brave, yeah. crazy plunge. Yeah. You're going to make me cry. Keep going. I, and, well, so what did you, watching them forge this new life for you and your family yeah. at, as a youngster, what did you learn from them? What lessons do you... Did resilience. You, resilience. It's just pure resilience. Constant, I'm going to cry. It's constantly putting... You imagine if we all got up tomorrow and went to China and said, we're living in China now. Let's go. Mm. Like, figure that out for a second. Just like, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't think even, I could do it. I don't think I could do it. No. I don't think I could actually do it. They See, I wonder crazy. if that's actually true because you're a father of two, two children. Yeah. And, and I want to believe that your parents made these great sacrifices yeah. for you and, so for your, and for your siblings yeah. as much as they made them for themselves, sure. right? That's a family thing. And I think sure. things, I don't have children, but I certainly think that everything sure. changes when you're responsible for the life of another. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think you're right about that. And I, and, and I guess I am being a little flip about it. But I do have to say that the, the pressures that they were under and the pressures that that put on top of all of us were not, were unique, obviously, as all of our families are, no matter where you're from, but they were so particularly awkward for a young boy because immediately I spoke English and immediately I translated stuff for my household. Mm. Mm. At like age eight, I am on the phone with, you know, our immigration lawyer. I'm on the phone with, you know, renters and wow. and and not knowing and also being kind of, you know, if I'm being honest, like fucking, I was angry. I was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to know this stuff. No, because suddenly you're an eight-year-old yeah. adult. Yeah. Suddenly you're doing things yeah. that you probably think, well, why aren't my parents doing this? But of course, you know. They, but I know. Yeah, but, but of course I you know that. Right. And the other thing is that, you know, it is a little bit of culture. Iranians have a... I mean, not not everyone. I, I can't use the word always, but they have an you know they're helpers. They want to help, and so my mom, on top of all of that, was a helper of the community and still like voicing her opinion in like pro-feminist Iranian groups, and you know what I mean. Like she was doing stuff, and but you know it's hard. It's difficult. There's and my mom, you know, my mom has a very tricky scenario. I mean, she was born. She she got married at the age of thirteen. Wow to my father and had a kid at 15, 16, and 18. Wow. So she's 18, she's got three kids. And then she has me when she's 35. When there's a revolution where her other, the youngest son, Omid, my brother who's 17 years older than me, he well, fought in the Iran-Iraq war for two years. Oh, wow. I'm saying shit that doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> and then my mom is juggling all that and it's like, am I, and my cousin died and in the war, and it's like, boom, let's go. And we got to the States. And now, and then she's 40-ish, 
and for the first time in her life, after raising three kids now who are in their 20s, is like, now you got to get a job. And start all, all over again. Over again. And learn everything, everything from, from scratch. scratch. That's not... And that's... My story is a lucky one. There's, yeah. There are way worse stories than that. Yeah. You know? Uh, so that's what I picked up from my parents. And I think that's... You know, a lot of people want to always ask me, like, how, are you, how do you get all this stuff done? And part of it is just, like, this drive of, like... Mm, you, this isn't that hard, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have like, a, there are hard things, yeah. but it's maybe not that hard, maybe, Perspec- actually. Perspective. Yeah, perspectively, I've seen my parents, and again, upper middle class lifestyle in Iran, to not that. Right. To a living in, from a five bedroom house in Iran to a two bedroom apartment. Mm. Right, like just everything is new in a what a a middle to upper middle class community, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Literally living on the other side of the tracks. I was gonna say there's great wealth, and then there's not such great wealth, and it's all sort of my parents. And you don't speak the language. Yeah. And my parents, this is the great. I don't know how they did this, and I still kind of don't know, but they figured out we're going to move to a great neighborhood, and we'll make it work with like whatever the cheapest options of survival there is, and that's what happened. Right, and they and did that for you. One 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's the lesson that I learned. And, and so th- tasks don't seem impossible to me. No. That's just, I don't see them, I don't see any obstacle as impossible. Well, which is maybe not great either. <laughs> I don't know. I would argue yeah. that that's a great thing, yeah. especially in the arts. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, well, that's all we got. I mean, right. Jesus, well, no, you know nobody's I, helping. You know, I love that just word. Just a series of obstacles. <laughs> exactly. Right? Obstacle. That yeah. much I love that word because an obstacle is something you can get over yeah. or find tools to deal yeah. with. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Or just or just hammer away at it yeah. sometimes and be like, what is this obstacle really? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that, and they I, just like push out and see, and then, and then you're like, oh, maybe it's way too big for me, yeah. or maybe it's not big for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we were talking before you got here yeah. about how amazed we were reading over your bio, yeah. the fact that you started your own yeah. company yeah. at the age of 22. Yeah, now And now we know why, too. right? Yeah. Because yeah. of that. Well, I moved to the city, and Tom Ridgely and I, we went to Indiana University, we moved to the city. We knew nobody, and we didn't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, we really, and we were like, we want, and it was right after 9-11, and we were very young, like, we got to change the world through theater, man, it's going to work, and we still, I mean, we still kind of are. Um, Tom has, you know, just left the organization, but, um, but that's who we are at the core of Water Was, like, we got to change the world, it's, no, it's real, it's real, the reason why we read Death of a Salesman in school is because that play is changing the world, <sighs> and it's a play that's doing it. Mm. That's why that play is we're given about. But it's 20, not random, you know. Right. Twenty-two is so young, and yeah. yet when you tell us this story of you translating on the phone at eight years old, yeah. relatively speaking, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. You're, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, to it just me. doesn't seem just like that, that big that of a deal. Mm-hmm. And then, and then everything, and then you demystify everything. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were everyone, the first thing you want to become a, you got to become a nonprofit. You got to get a lawyer. Not, it's like whoa, y'all, mm-hmm. like. Not, we, we don't know anyone. Lawyers are not something that's happening. And then we kind of figured out, oh, it's the IRS's job to help us become a nonprofit. <laughs> that's their job. Mm-hmm. So we're like, in the middle of an application, we're like, just send it in, as is. It's their job to help us. And we did, and it got declined. And there were like 40 steps of why it got declined. And we're like, whoa, are these guys morons? Just put in the 40 steps. We literally took all of their words and then said like, okay. And and then we became a nonprofit in like two months' time. Spent $100. Right. How often can you say that the IRS helped you with something? Yeah, exactly. Not not a lot. Yeah, but it's demystifying what their job is. And it's all about perspective. It's it's like, what are you doing? Is your job to make our lives hell? That's what we think. (laughs) But for on the nonprofit thing, their job is to help us yeah. become a nonprofit because right. that's good for society, right? Yeah. Like and this company is called Waterwell. Waterwell. And what has changed in the last 
was it 16 years? Or 16 something? years. I mean, yeah, we started off, you know, just doing small little shows and then the shows grew always with like a real mission to like change, you know, lives through art. Um, all, we used to get grants to like, to like have all of our shows be for veterans, free for veterans and free for students. Mm. Uh, we were like really actively trying to like hammer away at what it was in a non-cynical way and just like really hammering away at it. That grew. Um, and then, you know, we were approached and, and, and subsequently like applied for a vendor to become a Department of Education vendor to like run um, the drama section of the Professional Performing Arts School, PPAS. Um, and we came in and, and we started running that program and now we have, you know, about 200 students, 14 faculty members and we're in the curriculum and we teach them not only how does it mean to be like, well, you know, world class like arts training, that's in the curriculum. And it's free. Um, um, uh, not only do we teach them that, devising, movement, voice, uh, intro to theater, I teach a class called The Artist is Citizen. I have a, we have a senior capstone where they teach them about producing and all that. Not only that, we also have a huge citizenship underbelly. Like, this is how you can better society through art. And we bring in examples of people and try to use examples of themselves, trying to put it in the community so they can really see. And then they come and see our shows. Like we did a show a couple years ago on the Intrepid called The Blueprint Specials, yes. which, I, which I love. We loved doing it and all that. And it was a Frank Lesser lost musical. Half of the cast was veterans. Half of the cast was Broadway folks. And they did 60 performers on the Intrepid with a world premiere Frank Lesser music, and then our students saw that. And they're like, oh, we I get can it. do that. I can do that. That's not crazy. This sounds more like a graduate program than yeah. a high school program. Yeah. We, we, yeah, so, you know, we tell the Juilliard folks and the Lecoq folks, yeah, we modeled it after Juilliard and Lecoq and like, you know, Martin Luther King and like Gandhi. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like how we like. <laughs> Those are all really good people. models. Yeah, yeah, that's what we think. You're gonna model. Yeah. Wait, let's, 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 Back slow up. Down. To the, no, 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 yeah. no! Don't slow down. Yeah. But the Frank Lesser on the Intrepid. Yes. We, I think we want to hear a little bit more about that because yeah. that sounds incredible. I was fortunate enough to see it. Oh my god! I'm amazing. so happy you brought it up. When I saw that, yeah, you know, the connection. I hadn't thought yeah, about. Yeah, I produced it. But, Oh my gosh! Yeah, what an amazing show that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of all the things I've seen, I'm a critic, so I yeah. see something every day yeah. of the week. It feels like. Yeah. You know, over the past couple of years, yeah. that is a show that has stuck with me. Oh, cool, man! You know, because of the Thank experience you. of seeing it was. Yeah. So in 1944, incredible. the U.S. War Department hired a young private to make four musicals, to be performed, acted, directed, produced, and by soldiers during battle. So after they would kill some Nazis. <laughs> They would come into the trenches or whatever and be like, to deal with, quote, you know, the toils of war, end quote, like as a way of like shock therapy, art therapy, they called it, they can put on their own musical so they can entertain themselves to, so they can better, you know, so it could be a way of dealing with the massive PTSD they must have been going through at that mm -hmm. moment. That's what the U.S. War Department wanted to do. Everything about that is amazing. Right. Yeah. Well, the Germans had Jägermeister, yes. and the Americans had, had theater. And musical, like musical, musical, musical theater. theater. Yeah. So they said it was called the Blueprint Specials because each one of them, each of the four musicals, was a blueprint on how to make a musical with GI materials in war zones. Oh, my God. And they're about, I'm, I'm, I'm saying maybe like, each document is probably, I don't know how many, maybe like, maybe like a thousand pages, uh, orchestrations for up to 20 instruments, as if there would be like a third and fourth trumpet. <laughs> we need a third trumpet! <laughs> On some island in the South Pacific. Exactly. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. Normandy. Um, and, and, and then they were never performed. Wow. Because the war ended a year later. What other wish can I wish? What other plan can I plan? What other dream can I dream? And what for? Whatever for? When my heart is so
and then the musicals were lost forever. Frank Lesser um, completely, uh, no one even looked them up. We found Tom Ridgely, who directed the piece, uh, former artistic director and now is executive director at Shakespeare St. Louis. He is, um, he, 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 we were on a search. The entire office went on a, like a, like a year-long search to find them. We found them. How did you know they existed? Because there's one line, literally one line on his Wikipedia page that says, that's now been expanded. Thank you, whoever has done that. Um, and, and, and that said, like, and Frank Lesser wrote four musicals in the, in, in the lead up to World War II. We looked that up. We found the musicals. We found them all. We then, we took the best parts, put them into one night. We had them reorchestrated. They've been, the, uh, a, 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 you know, a Broadway team of, of musicians came on the Intrepid. We called the Intrepid. We told them the thing. We called the Department of Defense because they own it. They gave us the rights to it. It's public domain. All of a sudden, we called the Flesser Estate. They were thrilled. Like, and then we are now bringing theater and the, you know, the military complex together. And we're not anything, there's no mission other than that. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I, we don't have to be like, see? You know what I mean? Like, see what we've, no. It's like, that's the thing is we're doing it together. There is nothing else. Wow. And, 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 and then the election happened, and then we put it up on the Intrepid, mm-hmm. and there were some Republicans in the cast, there were some, we were working with veterans organizations, there were some Democrats, Democrats, it was right before Trump got, it was a messy time. And my goodness, it was a great time for all of us to be together. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting that it went up right after the election. Yeah. And when you think about the time in which, the chaos around which it was written, yeah. and then the chaos. Yeah, the chaos now. You were performing it in. Yeah. That's really an interesting parallel. What was striking to me was, yeah. was hearing the, sort of unvarnished voices yeah. of the people who wrote it. Yeah. Because I feel like we're so used to the war and the, the perspective of those fighting the war being told through a, a sort of a Hollywood lens yeah. or a big glitzy Broadway lens. Yeah. This was written by and for yes. those who were actually fighting it. Yes. And yes. that Correct. to me, it, 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 it's, it's, powerful. Me. it's so powerful. It's so powerful. It, I mean, it's, it's so raunchy and satirical, you know, because it's parochial. It's about their experience. Yeah. You know, the musicals are about being fighting in a war, right? I mean, it's, you write what you know. You write what you're experiencing. And it was so, it was so incredible. One of the musicals was called PFC Mary Brown, about, about, the, um, about the Women's uh, uh, Army Corps, Wax. Uh, and so we took the structure of that piece and made that the backbone of the show. Mm-hmm. And Laura Osnes played that part. Mm-hmm. With Will Swenson, you know, it, and so it was. And then at the end of the show, there's 60 performers on stage, and so you and we don't tell you who's a veteran, who's not. Right. And at the end of the show, the civilians come out in their civilian clothes, and the military folks come out in their military clothes, and then you look at them and you're like, "Wait, you guys were," hmm. and immediately you get that like, you know. The, we, we gotta mend more. We gotta yeah. actively go and take and say, okay, I know we're different there, but we're really kind of so much more alike. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Because that stuff will build societies. The other stuff will, you know. That's the, the hard stuff to do. Yeah, that, yeah, well, and, and, and it's the hardest stuff to do because you, it, it shows a lot, you've got to have ego be checked. Mm. And that's hard for people in this day and age um, for gazillions of reasons. And, and they're not wrong to have that ego at check, but mentioning it even out loud is helpful. I'm going to try to check my ego right now with as best as I can. That is incredible. And w- does, this, does this live on? Was this, does this live only in that moment? That's a very good question, you know, because, you know, New York is expensive and doing a show on the Intrepid with 60 performers is expensive. Um, that, th- these, are the, these are where the community can be helpful to us. Yeah. If, if community partners outside of the theater realm, which is someone we're actively going after, from both sides of the equation, whatever the word equation means and whatever both sides means, <laughs> um, that, you know, we need help, you know, to help these things. So for Blueprint Special, yeah, we're trying to go down to the Pentagon, do it at the Pentagon. Um, one of the things that we learned from the veteran community is don't make this a one-off. Don't just do one thing for us and then move on. Right. So we're building new programming yearly, an annual program that we're in the works, that Waterwall's in the works to do, with the Intrepid, hopefully. 
um, that would be a celebratory event that can bring communities together in like a, maybe like a festival vibe. Um, so I'm working on that. Uh, we're calling that the Fleet Week Follies. Um, oh, that's uh, a great name. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and uh, and you know and 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 really trying to get active and like trying to reach out and be like, who else is out there? What who else? What stories do I need to be told? There are amazing people at our organization that are making the front end of so much, so much of this work. I mean, like it's a team at our school. We do 11 productions a year. Wow. Wow. We do 11 productions. Every person that comes to our school can do productions at our show. And the, and the senior year, you're going to dig this, mm-hmm. we have something that we instituted called the New Works Lab seven years ago. The New Works Lab is we take a professional playwright, a professional director, and do a world premiere at the school. Trauma Display Service then publishes the shows. Some of our past writers include our inaugural year, Stephen Karam. Uh-huh. Becca Brunstetter from This Is Us, Nick Jones from Orange and, uh, and uh, Glow, Quee um, uh, from Vampire Cowboys, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing individuals, and all these are world premiere at our school. That's and, incredible. And then, then, and then they get to see, and so many of it, Sheree Castro-Smith like, interviews the students, and they talk about, and then they get to talk about their POV on things, mm-hmm. and how they see the world. And, and Mona came in, Mona Mansour came in and did a bunch of lessons with them. And Dale Orlander-Smith like, quizzed them. You know, so they get to have ownership of it all, and then it gets published, and then there's dozens of productions of that throughout the country. You know, so they see that their reach is there. That is our team. Heather, that runs that program. Uh, Adam Frank, Lee, and I have just moved in, uh, also on the announcement, as the board chair. So I, as the co-founder, uh, I'm also going to be the chair of the organization. So the kids, not only do they get to participate in, in, in existing work, but also new work. Yeah. I would imagine that the trade-off is great in terms of how much you all are learning from the kids yeah. and their experience. Correct. Because you've done new plays, right? Sure. So you know what that's like. Sure. But it must be incredible to see what a new play experience is like through the eyes of a 12-year-old or Absolutely. a 14-year-old or Absolutely. whatever the ages are. Absolutely. It gives them part of the citizenship. It gives them some confidence that their voice matters. And, in, and it doesn't, I'm, I'm not saying that like, like fist in the air it matters. I'm just saying like literally their thoughts matter. And that is an impactful idea for a young mind. Yeah. That they're valued. So much of young artists are talking about, you are val- I value you. Your voice is valuable to the conversation. But we lose that because yeah. we're not worthy, or because it's too, because we we've been conditioned to believe that all the uh, it's so useless. <laughs> it's also how we break down these boxes. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's another exactly. huge part of trying to figure out how we all live together as a world, exactly. which is which is tough right now, of right? Course, the world is course. a fucked up place. Yeah, it's awful and right now. It yeah. is, and it's and I I would imagine at in those teenage years, you're starting to figure that out. And yeah. so you're giving them tools in which they can grow with. Yeah. Which is not unlike the tools your parents gave you Bingo. by moving to this country. Bingo. So it all is, it yeah, all I think it's all full, part of it. Yeah, it I think it really, I really do think it's a part of it. I think you've, you've really kind of nailed that on the head. I think that people, when they ask, like, how is it possible that this is all happening? It's because I think I... I don't know. I, I just think like as an immigrant in that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, this is going to sound wrong, but yeah. it's, like, it's as if no one ever told you no. No one said, you can't do this. Yeah. This You're is right. a wall you, that didn't exist for you, which is why you started this company at 22, which is why um, you make films uh, seemingly on your own. I mean, it, it, it seems like you, you get an idea and you're like, I need to do this, yeah. and then it happens, right? Your, your acting career is, sounds more like you audition, you get a part, you audition, you don't get a part. But, yeah, but, and, and, and being choosy on that, too, because right. they're very easily... Putting you in boxes there too. Right. Are you turning down terrorist role after terrorist role? All the time. Yeah, it's so fucked up. <laughs> I mean, I mean, weeks ago it wasn't a terrorist role, and 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 and, and the intentions were in the wrong place. But weeks ago, someone came to my desk, and I was like, 
looking at it, and it was a show, and it was cool, and, and I wanted to do it, and well, I didn't want, I, I, I wanted to investigate more, and then I was looking at the part, I was like, wow, back to the same old tropes yeah. from the 40s, cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it didn't say terrorists, but it said all the other stuff, and, right. and, and it's, and, and I'm not scared of telling bad versions of people from the Middle East. I just better be honest. Right. Because nothing is screams like bullshit when you see something that is just false and then misrepresented. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, I'm tired of that. Yeah. And, I don't, and, and, and that's why I don't have a lot of a big TV career. Right. That's why I don't have a big film career. But you are on Succession. I am which, on Succession. Which, which, which and, was and a long, yeah. that little show. Yeah. That little fun show. You play a great character. Yeah, he's He's fun. a bastard. He's awful. He's awful, but he's, uh, he's arguably my favorite character on the show. Because he's, he's just, he's horrible, and yeah. yet you still like him. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think yeah. your clothing helps, too. You have really great suits. Yeah. But, uh, um, I agree with you. What do you like about him? Oh, that's a good question. He never lies. Yeah. He knows he's not a liar. You ask him a question, he tells you the answer. Yeah, that's true. He says, can I trust you? No. You know, but with the financial stuff, no. Mm-hmm. You cannot trust me. Yeah. That's a ridiculous question. Yeah. That's, can, you know, the only lie that I think that he gives in the show is when, and I think it's for the right lie, is when he's like, can I have more cocaine? And he's like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody lies about cocaine. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. I'm fascinated by the accidental wolf. Yay. I I I told you when you walked in, yeah. um this this week marked my fourth viewing. Oh my of god, it. you're amazing. You're and, and I am. Yeah. I, I am There's a lot of you. Yeah, I that does not surprise yeah, me. A lot of and you. again, that's a show that you you wrote and yeah. you directed. Yeah. And it's it has okay. I had to write this fucker down because I could not <laughs> believe it. You have, as some of your actors, yeah. Kelly O'Hara, who yeah. plays the star. Um, and I think it's the best work she's ever done. And this, is, and this is a woman who is known for only doing good work. I mean, she's phenomenal <laughs> nice. in everything we she does. We can talk about her for about 40 hours. Okay, that's, <laughs> you're coming back for a second podcast. Right. <laughs> Mike Doyle, yeah. Frank Wood, Jane Howdyshell. Well, the entire cast of The Humans. Yeah. Jane Howdyshell, Judith Ivey, Catherine Irby... Dennis O'Hare, Casey Beck, Lori Metcalf, Amy Landecker, Sarah Steele, yeah. who is has three lines and they're brilliant. Yeah. I mean, she's she's in it for a second yeah. and it and it's very memorable. Um, Raul Castillo, Castillo, who I have a huge crush on, and Reed Bernie, mm-hmm. and that's oh, and those are just the names I I caught. What a weak group! So, weak yeah. group of oh. individuals. In C- this year, as of right now, that that cast has thirty-seven Tony nominations. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> and with season two, which we've already shot, which we talk about in a second, um, the number goes to 77. Oh, my God. Whoa, so you have even more. We got, we got a couple of people that are like, got like 400 nominations. Did you get Hal Prince on the show? Hal Prince <laughs> is now on the show. <laughs> There's 21 uh, right there. <laughs> We're probably uh, yeah, the show. Yeah. So, how, how do you want to start? Well, I, I haven't seen it yet. I was, I was wondering, right. could you actually give us a, like a little overview yeah, of, absolutely. of what absolutely. it's about? Or um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the I'm dying Axon- to watch it, I have to say. The Accidental Wolf is a premium short-form thriller that basically means it is not a comedy. Uh, <laughs> that is a thriller that's told in bite-sized pieces. And it is about an unbelievably rich um, woman, seemingly has everything, gets a phone call in the middle of the night from someone that is being bombed in what appears to be Africa. And, and, And she is now on this phone call trying to figure out how to help and what the hell is going on. That's the show. Mm. I mean, I can't really say much more than no, no, that. I, yeah, yeah. That, and that's the first like six minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a two-hour series about what that event does to a woman that's a mother who's, who, who is complicated. That's the other thing, that Kelly and I wanted to make someone that was complicated. She is loved, and she's like, Jeb's you mad. Right? Yeah, she's she. It's again. It's another. It's not unlike Stewie. Yeah. She's not always likable. Yeah. And yet you root for her from the very Absolutely. first 
frame. Absolutely. And she does this thing in the first episode where she, they're driving somewhere and she stops the driver and goes into a deli and scarfs down a package of Oreos or cookies. I think yeah. they're Oreos, I think. Yeah, by herself. Like by herself. Sort of in a corner. And you th- in a, like, in a, like in a gown. In a gown. And you think, as an audience member, you think, oh, here we go. She's got all these problems. Yeah. And then she gets into the car and she says, and she tries to tell her husband yeah. what she did. And suddenly you realize, oh, nothing is what you think it's going to yeah. be. It's, it's like a game changer. Yeah. And it's so fascinating how you throw these morsels out. Yeah. You show us things that you don't show us again yeah. or that come in much later. Yeah. There's lots of teasers. It's, it's as if it's like film noir. Yeah, thank you. That's it's, what I was going it, for. <laughs> it, I, I have to say, and I'm going to blow a little bit more smoke up your skirt, it felt very much like Otto Preminger. It felt very much like those films where you, you have to struggle to keep up almost. And yet it's also so visual that you can sort of sit back and relax a little bit. It's, it's very complicated. I, I, I appreciate you so much. I don't <laughs> really know. I, I'm curious where this came from. Yeah, so Kelly and I did Lear together at the public. I'd never seen Kelly perform before that. This is in 2011. It was right after Bengal Tiger. It was the Sam Waterston Lear. I played Edgar. She was playing Regan. I knew who Kelly O'Hara was, obviously. <laughs> uh, Kelly O'Hara, Frank Wood was in that cast. Oh, Frank Wood. I missed Frank Wood. No, you said it. You said oh, did it. I? Oh, good. But, but Frank Wood was in The Excellent Wolf. Um, and I'm guessing there's others as well that are in, in both. Anyway, all this to say that, that right in the VOMs, before poor Tom gets thrown out into the mix, I would watch Kelly do the Why Need One scene. I need you one scene. And I would watch her literally in direct contact. And every night I would watch and I thought, holy God, she, I feel bad for her. And that's amazing. You felt bad for Reagan? Exactly. It's Reagan, isn't it? I I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Um, and, and, And I was like, wow. God, I kind of feel bad for you. But you're awful. And then I went up to her, and we are kids of the same age, and I went up to her, um, and I said, you know, I'm trying to dabble into film because no one's writing stuff for my, you know, that I want to do, and so I'm going to write a, I'm writing a film, I wrote this film, and I'm going to do this film, and, and a film that never happened, and then she said, can I read it? I said, sure, yeah, whatever, and I gave it to her, and then the next day she goes, I read it, and she was fascinated by it. And then I said, oh, my God, hey, if I write you something, will you do it? And she goes, yes. And then once we shot the pilot and put the pilot together and still trying to figure out what it was, we loved how the pilot was, like, nine minutes long, and it was so captivating for us. And the moment that people were like, make it longer, I was just like, but why? It's, that's the whole thing. And then I'm a big, you know, I used to be a huge Charles Dickens fan. All of those Gatsby was told in chapter form. Mm-hmm. It was little pieces. You know what I mean? I was like, so we'll just, it's, that's what I kept on saying. It's like, it'll be like that. So every episode, I wrote every episode is if like, I don't need anybody's help. If we had zero dollars, how the fuck do we shoot this? Mm. That's how I wrote it. Um, and that is not how it ends up looking. No. As, no, a, as, a, as an audience member. Yeah, thank you. It's yeah. extraordinary. Great team. And then, and then we started di- digging in, and then, and then we put it out there, and then, and then, and then we were like, we're going to give it away for free on our own platform. And then, you know, and then we kept on pushing all of the format buttons and being like, we want it to be for free. Why? Well, because we want people to see it because it's cool. Okay. That was the, probably the smartest decision that we made. Yeah. The investors that came on board that really should be thanked are Gregory Franklin and Jane uh, Sherman are theater people. Mm. Of course. Mm-hmm. They're theater people yeah. that got it. The lesson I keep hearing yeah. you say over and over today, which I think is so important, is ask questions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then what goes with that is listen. But yeah. ask questions. Everything can, not everything, but many things can be settled and sorted if you ask questions, if you learn about other people and other experiences. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that there is, 
I think that part of the problem that we have in all societies, Europe, Middle East, all over the world, is that we just are not caring about the other part of the street. Right. And, and, and to care is so easy. Think of what the world could be if we could just be kind to each other. Before we go, yeah. we, we ask everybody this yeah, question, yeah. and that is, what was that first show yeah. that you saw, whether it be a community show or theater, Broadway, yeah. that did it for you, that, that made you want to work in the theater? Yeah, it was a, it was a movie, and, and, but it makes sense because my parents knew movies that they got, so they were getting movies that were like 20 or 30 years older, mm -hmm. so, they, we watched City Lights together, which is a, a, um, a Charlie Chaplin film, mm -hmm. which is my favorite movie, if you were to ask. That's what I would answer. Um, Consistently and, each time, right? <laughs> I love that. That movie. wouldn't change. Yeah, it's yeah. a good movie about It's a great a film. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I mean, it's a piece of theater, really. I yep. mean, and I remember watching that with my dad, and my dad was sitting on the ground, and I was sitting on the couch, and, and it was on like Channel 11. Cha oh, no, I'm sorry, yeah, Channel 11 which is our like um, channel 13 here, mm -hmm. I guess. And I remember laughing hysterically, being mesmerized that realizing for the first time that this was all on one take. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the complicated like boxing match was all on one take. That I was like, I got that as a young age. I was like, oh, they're, they're not using like different camera angles. Which blew that like blew open to mind, and I just remember my dad and I laughing together. Wow, so interesting. Yeah. Your first experience yeah. was more from a director, from a yeah. from a director slash writer point yeah. of view, yeah. and less from an actor. Yeah, that's what you were drawn to. Yeah, How I don't even consider myself an actor. Isn't that funny? I can I say I'm a theater maker. You're a theater maker. That's good. Yeah, and I think I'm. Re I think I don't because I like telling story. I'm like a story. I like stories. I like mm -hmm. telling stories. I'm not like. I don't think you know. Everyone asks like, "What's your next project gonna be?" And it's like I don't know what. I mean, whatever the thing that needs you know, like doing at that next moment. All right, I'm done talking. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> well, thank you very much thank you for guys. spending yeah. the afternoon with us. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. We can eat now. We can eat. <laughs> <laughs> Rob here with You May Be Wondering. In our conversation with Arian, he mentioned watching Kelly O'Hara perform in King Lear from the Voms of the Delacorte Theater in Central Park. You may be wondering, what on earth are the Voms? Well, a Vom is shorthand lingo for a vomitorium, which, contrary to the image you might be forming in your head right now, is a passage situated below or behind a tier of seats in an amphitheater or a stadium that actors can use as a pathway to enter and leave the stage or big crowds can use to exit at the end of a performance. A staple of ancient Roman architecture, vomitorium is a Latin word dating to the fourth century, derived from the verb that means to spew forth. Despite the connotation of spew, it is a popular misconception that vomitoria were places designated in ancient Rome for the purpose of actual vomiting as part of a ritualistic binge and purge cycle. Sorry to disappoint, folks, but I won't mind if you continue making vomitorium jokes. At the Delacorte Theater in Central Park, the outdoor amphitheater used by the public theater for their annual Shakespeare in the Park presentations, the ramps of the vomitoria are famously steep, such that in the rain or mist, staff members sometimes have to position themselves to catch actors hurtling down them. As we talked about with David Rockwell, the public recently announced that its beloved Delacorte Theater will get a $110 million upgrade, and rehabbing those notorious voms is on the list. As it makes its plans, the public is committed to retaining the Delacorte's rustic summer camp charm, but the theater, built in 1962 by the city of New York to be a permanent home for Joe Papp's New York Shakespeare Festival's annual Shakespeare in the Park series, actually hasn't changed much in the last 56 years. This will be the first major renovation. Currently, the Delacorte is not fully ADA accessible. The bathrooms are insufficient, I mean, really terrible. Uh, the backstage infrastructure is mostly non-existent, 
and there's no plan B for inclement weather. The structure itself has little protection for the winter, which results in an annual cost of over $100,000 just to reopen the space each spring for its summer productions. This planned renovation will make the building's materials more resilient and weatherproof, with the goal of extending the theater's usefulness to allow for expanded programming with added performances in the spring and the fall. Work on the project will officially begin in 2020, with the Delacorte going dark for the summer of 2021, but debuting its new renovated site in 2022. Shakespeare in the Park is one of New York's greatest and most celebrated traditions, and this project will ensure that more people will get to experience it for years to come. Some, like Arian from the Voms, but most of us from those delightful green stadium seats. Jennifer here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.